Well, in our new series, Thought Bubbles, we're looking at the fact that you cannot trust your own brain. And whether it was our CEO who thought he was great at multitasking, despite the research that shows that only 2% of the population can multitask, to which all of us go, wow, I'm part of the 2%. Great. And that song, Mr. Know-It-All, is we have a tendency to think we know it all, and yet you just saw from that last clip, you can be staring directly at something. And as a magician myself, I know exactly, you can use misdirection to have somebody look at one thing while lots of other things are going around you. And often what happens, as we look at the second edition of Thought Bubbles today, is that if you don't learn to reflect on your thoughts, begin to see the things that are in the peripheral of your life, the thoughts that come in out of your life, you can be deceived, you can be tricked, even lies can come knocking into your door and come into your hearts as well. So last week, if you were with us, we encouraged everyone to take a brain. And if you didn't grab a brain last week, we'll have some more for you on the way out today. And we asked you to use this brain to track your thoughts for a week to track your triggers, to backtrack your reactions, to look for thoughts that may have snuck into your, into your behaviors from the past, from your past scars, from situations. And by tracking those, we would try and figure out how we could get a little freer last week. Well, I did some myself. I didn't do it every day, but I did track several days, and I was amazed at some of the thoughts I tracked. One of them, I uh, was working on a car with my son. We were doing a little body work on the car. And as we were doing that, I get a phone call from my daughter from college. And we're right in the middle of the project. And, and one of the thoughts that, that uh, I like is to get things accomplished. But as I'm in the middle of the project, my daughter calls. She's crying, uh, rather distraught. And so here's what I did. Tell me what's going on. And I went, oh, well, well, what is the thought that drives that? And I realized I have a thought that serves me very, very well in almost every area of my life, except these. And here's the thought. I can do both. It's the multitask that we saw earlier. And so as I'm listening to my daughter pour her heart out while I'm putting the, you know, my son's trying to give me instructions about the next thing we're doing on the car, I went, hold on just a second, honey. I can't do both. And I sat down and had a very meaningful conversation with my daughter focused, listening, connecting with her in a way that I didn't miss it. But that was a thought. And I realized that's a thought that actually needs to be reflected on often because though it serves me in some areas, I can do both causes a lot of trouble. Another one is about 1130 at night. My son came to me and he says, hey, I just you know, upgraded my car. That's why we're fixing the other one. Um, I just got it. Could, could we take the car for a drive in the neighborhood? And I'm thinking, I'm so tired at 1130. How often does my son ask me to go for a ride in his car? I'd love to, buddy. I get in the car. As I get into the car, as a person who likes to get stuff done, immediately to-do lists start coming down in my head in his car. Not related to my life, but related to his car. He hasn't got the tag quite yet. Uh, we do have insurance. but he, So I'm like, hey, by the way, don't forget about it. And I start rattling through the list of things he needed to do for the car in the next day. And I said, you know what? Let's just talk about this tomorrow. And I caught my thought. And here's my thought. I have a tendency to my thought being what's next. And then way, way, way down there is be in the moment. I thought, I'm going to take this thought, what's next? I'm going to put it on hold and say, I want to be in the moment. I'll share a few more with you, but that was a key thought that I was tracking that was, was getting in the way of me. And that was just actually in one reflection time I had. I'll share a few more later. Have you ever noticed that two people can encounter the same situation and have two totally different reactions? You ever notice that? How is it possible that two people can face the exact same circumstance and have totally different feelings, totally different reactions? 
I'll give you some examples. Here's an example of two people facing the same thing and how their thoughts, their thought bubbles, actually drive their, their feelings and their behaviors. One person says, you know, if it's cancer, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to figure it out. Another person gets a report, medical report, and says, I won't be able to handle it if it's cancer. Do you see how the emotions and reactions would be totally different between somebody with a thought, I can't handle it, versus I'm going to trust God, I'm going to figure it out? It's not denial of reality, but it's that thought drives your feelings. One has hope, one has hopelessness. One has fear, one has perseverance. Here's another circumstance. Two people, same circumstance, totally different thought bubble. One person says, I earned everything I have and I deserve what's coming to me. Probably that person worked hard. Probably that person has a lot of uh, late nights to build the company up. But overall, their thought bubble is, I earned everything I have and I deserve what's coming to me. Somebody else has equal amounts of success. But what does their thought bubble say? Well, it's, it's just slightly different, right? I'm grateful for my success. And I want to give back to others the way God has given to me. One has a sense of pride and entitlement. The other has a sense of humility and gratefulness. Two people, one circumstance, different feelings and different reactions. Here's a third one. Heading into empty nest. One person, as the kids are about to get out of the house, and he's thinking to himself, you know, as our kids are leave for college, how can I reconnect with my wife? How can I use this season in a real critical way? The other person has a different thought bubble. Now that the kids are gone, or more alone than ever, We've drifted apart, and this might be time to give a divorce, because I did the part that I needed to, which is at least I was here during the kids' years. One circumstance, two thoughts, totally different feelings, totally different reaction. Here's one guy with two different thoughts for the same situation. He comes into circumstance and says, you made me mad. You made me feel guilty. What if we swapped his thoughts? I chose to be angry when you did that. I chose to be ashamed or condemned when you said that. Do you see on one situation, the person is is totally in control. The circumstances and people in life control his emotions. The other one says, no, despite what happens, I can choose how I respond. Those two thought bubbles totally change your reaction, which is why what we're going to look at today is this principle. We don't react to people and circumstances. We react to what we think about people and circumstances. Now, if that's true, that we react not to people and circumstances that we can't control, we react to what we think about people and circumstances, which we can control, then I've got great news for us. We can get back in control of our lives. Instead of trying to manage or manipulate things that we can't manipulate and and fully manage, like people and circumstances, we can say, I can choose to be in control of how I think Therefore, how that makes me feel and how I react to people and circumstances. And this is a real process of real change that the Bible outlines with three steps. Step number one is to sort of recap from last week. Step number one is to reflect. You can't change your thoughts until you know your thoughts. So one of the reasons we told you to track your thoughts for a week, and this will go on for the next six weeks, is because if you don't know what the thoughts are, you're not going to be able to change them. Now, the Bible speaks about reflection on your thoughts using a battle metaphor or a war metaphor. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, you got to go to battle. Every day there are thoughts trying to kill you. Every day there are thoughts trying to destroy your marriage. Every day there are thoughts trying to destroy your future or your hope. So you've got to come into a, to your life with a battle mindset. 
And that battle mind says, I got to reflect on who's trying to shoot me. What's trying to get into my life? What's trying to get past my walls? What's trying to get past my barriers? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, just like weak for the sake of this conversation, but they're mighty. And we're going to give you some mighty tools, Paul says. These are mighty in God. And what these tools will do is they will pull down, yank down strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is a thought that has stayed with you not for minutes or for months, but for decades. And it's become such a strong part of you, you no longer recognize it as a lie or a bad habit or a bad pattern. You think it's now you. I am angry because I'm Irish. I am driven because that's my personality. And that stronghold is you don't recognize or can't even reflect on the lie anymore because you think it's who you are. And it's become a stronghold. And so, again, using the battle metaphor, if you're going to take over an area of a country, you, you put all your garrisons, all your tanks in one area and say, we're going to hold this spot. That's a stronghold. And what God said is this process of reflecting on your thoughts will let you take back strongholds, areas of your life that you haven't been able to, to take over before. And you'll be able to, look, cast down or pull down arguments. 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 From thoughts in your mind that tell you to be angry or tell you to make excuses or tell you to rationalize or tell you you've got to get more done or I'm the ultimate multitasker. I can do both. You can pull down. You can yank in. You can cast down the argument thoughts going on in your head. Now, science has confirmed what the Bible's been saying for years. My father-in-law recently was diagnosed in the last three or four years with PTSD coming uh, back from Vietnam. Undiagnosed for 30 years. Now, there's a stronghold. 30 years seeing the horrors of war. Imagine the kind of things that get deposited in your mind from that. Coming back from Vietnam to be booed and spit upon and called a baby killer. You think about the shame and the name calling at 2024 that that puts into you. Dealing or not knowing how to deal with all that, imagine the ramifications of that, of being emotionally you know, unavailable to yourself or your spouse or your kids, and imagine the impact of that stronghold on future generations. And then imagine that one of the things that also happened while you're in, that, in Vietnam is that everyone in your platoon was killed except you. Think about all the thoughts that get put into your head from that kind of trauma. And what he has found by going to the VA is the VA uses cognitive therapy. It's one of the only researched methods for helping people move through PTSD. And it's exactly what the Bible describes here. You start by reflecting on the thoughts that you have. You dig in and discover them. You learn how to capture them. You learn how to change them. But it begins with a stage. I had a friend who's a psychologist came up to me several uh, months ago and said, Chad, I teach this stuff all the time. I've seen people change from this. Uh, Keep teaching it. This is so great. This is so helpful. The person said, you know, but what's ironic is, though I teach this stuff all the time, I'm amazed at how easy it is to tell other people, but I find that I still am captured by some thoughts and some patterns and some lies. And though I can give other people instruction to do it, I still find myself stuck. That's a stronghold. Now, how do you know what your strongholds are? It's easy to see other people's strongholds. But here's how you find your stronghold. It's very easy. Very easy. Listen in on any family reunion discussion. <laughs> Listen in. 
Everybody talks about everyone else's stronghold. You're sitting down at the couch. Uncle so-and-so's not in the room. The conversation goes like this. You know, he's really always been like this. Ever since his father, ever since he grew up with a stronghold, can't talk, can't encourage, didn't listen a little bit more, always been critical. You know, I think the reason they've been critical is blah, 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 blah. And you jump in, I agree, and you become armchair psychologist. And what are you doing? Whether you can diagnose a solution or not, you can identify that stronghold. So just guess. Just guess. If you're talking about your family members when they're not in the room, they're talking about you when you're not in the room. And what would they be saying about the patterns they observe, the stuck points you've been in? That's your stronghold. I talked to a guy recently. He's in his 20s. He said, you know, my dad and mom are going through a very difficult time. And as I asked my dad, what's going on? He said, well, your mom, you know, she never really felt love growing up. She always felt driven. She always felt a lot of shame. And, and so she's never been able to stronghold. It's a place that those lies have so sat in and protected. You've got to reflect and arm yourself that you're going to go to battle if you want to change. It's a Catholic mystic who uses the analogy I love that your mind is like a room full of doors. And that most of us have a a, a mind with room full of doors and our whole life we've left all the doors open. No thoughts have to knock before they come in. No lies have to knock before they come in. So our whole life we've left all the doors open. And so we let people's thoughts come into our mind and dump trash all over our life and they walk in. Somebody else comes through the door after a, a situation they drop fear in this corner and rejection in this corner and they're gone. We never learn the discipline of saying, you got to knock before you come into my mind. And yet that is a discipline that will serve us well. To learn that our thoughts need to knock before we let them in. And for many of us, we spent decades letting thoughts, fears come in and trash our our mind. And we got to clean up some of the stuff in there. And it begins with a battle mindset. There's bombs in place here. There's bombs for my marriage. There's bombs for my career. There's bombs for my health. If I don't clean up this place, and I've got to learn how to reflect on, dig into these strongholds and cast down these arguments. So, number one, we got to reflect. you got to know what the thoughts are. And then two, you need to compare. Step two, got to compare. How does this thought compare to God's thought on the situation. So you cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against, see the comparison? Against the knowledge of God. There's a battle going on between the knowledge, the truth, there's that knowledge word, the knowledge of God against the knowledge you picked up. So you got to compare. I got this thought. I can do both. How does that compare to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? That doesn't compare very well, actually. I know I'm right. Two sides of an argument always sound good. Oh, sorry, one side of an argument always sounds good until the other side comes to question it. Ooh, that might, I, I can't always be right. That's actually not true. But this is a discipline you have to learn. Where those thoughts come to your door and you've got to recognize them. Hey! And you frisk your thoughts down. You make them knock before they come in. You compare. I don't want you in here. I don't want you trashing this place like you did. You trash my mom's mind and my grandma's mind. You're not trashing my mind. Hey, that drivenness, it served grandpa well and served my dad well. And I don't want to lose that, that perseverance and that go-get-itness. But I also don't want it to trash the marriage like it did for mom and dad. You're not coming in here. You reflect and then you compare the arguments or the thoughts or the high things. And what's a high thing? Now, in old days, what you would do is you'd find the highest place in your land. You'd climb up there and you'd build an altar to another god. 
And though you still got a little bit of the, the, the Jesus God or the Old Testament God, you, you still study the Bible, you still go to synagogue, but you really go up to the high thing to worship. So it's not like you've abandoned God. He's just not as important as the high thing. This is especially true in our mind. So let me just play out what this looks like, that you want to compare your high things to the knowledge of God. Here's an example from forgiveness. I see this all the time. Maybe you see this in yourself. All these thoughts sit in your mind simultaneously. I can't forgive myself. What, what I did was really bad. Until I can make up for what I've done, I'm never going to forgive myself. Now, underneath those thoughts are thoughts like, if people knew the real me, they'd reject me. And underneath that is, hey, God loves me as I am, and God can forgive anything, and God paid it all. How can all those coexist? Well, the question is, which is the highest thought? Because I hear people all the time say, hey, I know God forgives me. I know God can forgive anything. But, higher thought, I can never forgive myself. And your highest thought tells you who your real functional God is. Because it's the one thought you find more important. And everything else you've learned subordinates itself to your high thought. And so part of reflecting is tearing down or casting down saying, that high thought, I struggle with, with forgiving myself. Without a doubt, that's true. I struggle with forgiving myself. But I'm going to subordinate that thought to God's forgiven me and I'm going to trust his word over mine. God says, I can't make up for what I've done, but what Jesus did on the cross makes up for everything I've done, past, present, future. And there's no guilt and no condemnation in Christ. So I don't think I believe that. But you see how if you did believe it, it would bring a lot of freedom into your life? Let me give you a marriage example. So, in marriage, there's lots of high thoughts. Things you know to be true and, and what you really do. Your highest thought is, I'm right here. Next thought, he or she's disrespecting me the way they're talking. Next thought, hey, listen, I'm trying harder, and listen, I can't change anymore. Another thought, you know, reconciliation is more important than who's right in the situation, that we're together. Another thought, I need to bear all things, forgive all things. God didn't stop pursuing me when I was wrong and when I was obnoxious. When God was in the right, he still pursued somebody who was in the wrong. Now, when you're in an argument, which one of those is your highest thought? Hmm. I've heard myself say I can't change anymore. I've caught a thought that says I'm trying harder than she is. I've caught lots of thoughts that say I'm right here. Rarely does in that moment the thought come up that says... You know what? God changed an awful lot. He went from a multi-dimensional being to becoming a, a, a human being to dying on a cross. That's a lot of changing. If he did that for me, I need to continue to do that for my spouse. If that was your highest thought, do you think that might contribute to the health in your marriage? You've got to reflect on your thoughts. And then you've got to compare that thought to the thoughts of God. And ask yourself, what's going to be the highest thought here? I'll give you one more. The difference between hiding versus being open. And notice again, comparing the thought you may have come up with in your family system versus what God says. Here's an example. Hide your mistakes. Hide your struggles. Honest and vulnerability destroy reputations. And you got that pounded into you where you grew up. Pounded into you from your family of secrets. The duplicity of pretending to be one thing when you knew it was really a disaster behind the scenes. Versus the Bible says the truth can set you free. Secret struggles become those strongholds. So don't keep a secret. When you say it out loud, others can help. No, no, you don't say it out loud. Which one is your highest thought? 
CEO Alan Mullally, Mullally took over for Ford and think they were millions of dollars in debt. And what he realized is because they were millions of dollars in debt, it was because of a stronghold in the corporate culture that said, you don't talk about problems. He called the management team together and said, we got a problem. We're millions of, we're billions of dollars annually in debt. We got to fix this thing. So he went across his executives and he had a system. Green means all's go. Yellow, we got a problem, but we have, but we know what it is and we're fixing it. Red, we got a problem. We don't know what it is and we don't know how to fix it. He called the executives together at one of the first meetings when he took over the helm of CEO and he went across the room. What do we got? Green chart. How about you guys? Green chart. How about you guys? Green, green. It's all green. He paused for a moment after, the meeting, after that part of the meeting. He says, guys, if it's all green, why are we $21 billion deficit in the first year, in this year? Do you think there might be a problem here? So finally, one of the guys, I think it's from Michigan, said, I think I might have a yellow area. Everybody else is like, that guy's going to lose his job. You don't bring up problems. You hide it. You pretend it. That's how you lose your jobs here. He said, well, tell me what it is. And he explained the problem. And as he did, immediately another executive said, we got an engineer had to work fix that in our department about six months ago. I'll have him call you today and we can get that fixed. Somebody else said, hey, we got some personnel that worked on something like that. Let's help you with that. In the process of one week, this yellow area got fixed because it got brought into the open and got fixed by the team. But the next meeting, everyone showed up and that guy was not sitting in his seat. And they all remembered that. That's why you don't say it's yellow. That's how it's off with your head. But the reason he wasn't sitting in his usual seat is because the CEO had asked him to sit in the seat next to him at the next meeting. That guy was honest and he got closer to the CEO. Because he was trying to change the culture from a hide culture to a let's fix this together culture. And it transformed Ford. And they went from being bankrupt to the success that they are today. But there's a process there. You've got to compare the thoughts you've picked up, the thoughts that you reflect on, to the thoughts of God. And that comparing is, is truly a battle. Your mind is literally battling between what you felt is true and what God's saying is true. And you've got to figure out what you're going to trust. So let me give you one more optical illusion. And I want you to see how your brain battles to try and take these two competing ideas and try and put them together. Because this is what happens when you've got lifelong patterns and strongholds and high thoughts that are battling with these new thoughts. Now, some of us missed a few. But if you didn't miss it, I'm not going to miss any of these, I know it. Then, if you're like me, at least took me up. I gotta think for a second. Don't say it wrong before I got it right. Because what's going on? Your, your your mind is processing your instinct, comparing the two, and then choosing to do one versus the other. It went slower, but you got it right. The same thing is true if you want to be free from these thoughts. It's going to go slower because you're going to. Oh my goodness! I got to think about my thoughts. <sighs> then I got to compare my thoughts. Chad, I got stuff to do. Yeah. You got stuff to do, and it's going to be all strongholds and high stuff, and you've been doing that same thing. And I'm telling you, in some areas of your life, it's done well. Some areas, you got a train wreck coming. So in these areas, don't work on all your thoughts, but work on a few specific thoughts. You, I'm going to reflect on this thought. This thought is affecting me. I want to compare this thought. And then I would encourage you, if you're not a Bible reader, if you don't believe in the Bible, there's great wisdom in there. Just go find some wisdom on this particular topic of something you're working on so you have something to compare to. How might your marriage be different if you took this verse... Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Like, well, I do the opposite. I'm quick to anger, I'm quick to speak, and I'm slow to listen. Yeah, that explains the last 30 years of your marriage right there, doesn't it? 
Wouldn't all of us be better if we were quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? But the process is, I didn't do that here. I got to compare. And then here comes the most important stage for today. You got to capture. You can't capture something you haven't found. So the Bible says you got to capture your thoughts. Look, bring every thought captive. Bring every single thought coming into your mind. Every door is now closed. Every door is locked. Anyone who wants to come in here and handle my feelings, motivate my life, affect how I, I, I react, every single thought needs to come through a locked door. I'm going to frisk you down. I'm going to check your agenda. I'm going to figure out what you're really about. Take every thought captive. Take it into captivity. Lock it up to the obedience of Christ. Comparing that thought, I'm not letting any enslaving thoughts come into my head anymore. I'm not letting any enslaving thoughts come into my mind anymore. I've got to learn how to capture these things. And I'm telling you, if you'll do it, it will not only bring freedom into your life, it will bring freedom into your kid's life and your grandkid's life, because whatever thought you free is a less stronghold you pass on. Take every thought captive into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We had a staff member this week that was sharing about one of the thoughts that he compares and one of the reactions he had. He had a volunteer who came to him and the volunteer said, hey, I'd like to talk about a complaint I have about the church and about a situation in the church and specifically as it relates to you. Okay, so somebody says that to you. What, what happens? Defensiveness. You're already ready to go, right? You're already in arms. I'm right. They're wrong. As a staff member said, and as this person brought up this issue... I asked some clarifying questions, asked a little more details on it, and the volunteer turned to me and said, I gotta tell you, I've been in business for 20-something years, and I've confronted people, business and otherwise, on a lot of things. I've never had anyone handle it as well as you have. You were open, you were humble, you weren't defensive, you weren't a doormat. How were you able to do that? I, I, I've never seen that in business, let alone in church. He said, well, I, I got this verse from Hebrews that I try and use in these kind of situations, it says, be a blessing to those who are in authority over you. Like that's in the Bible? Be a blessing to those in authority over you. One of the things that a pastor is supposed to do is a pastor is supposed to equip the saints or the volunteers in the church so that they can accomplish the purposes God has for them. So in one sense, not that we work for, for the congregation, but we're here to serve. And so if we're not serving well, we want to be open to, oh, if we're not serving well, how could we do better? Or if you have a boss, same way he said he uses this principle for his bosses throughout his life. When you have a boss, what if every time your boss came to you, your primary thought was, how can I be a blessing to the people who are in authority over me? Well, this has got to be a tough conversation. They may, may have prayed about it. They may should have prayed about it. But whatever it is, it's going to be tough for them to bring this up. I want to make this as easy as possible for my boss to bring this up so that we can do better. I don't know where in the chain of command that thought was. But it was not on my list, let alone at the top of the list of, I want to be a blessing to the person confronting me, because I want to be humble, and I want to be open to change. That's somebody who's learned how to take thoughts captive. I saw an interview a few weeks ago with Melinda Gates, talking about her faith and talking about the impact of her faith and her spiritual disciplines on she and Bill Gates' um, family. And I asked her, I said, you know, how does it feel, you know, richest family in the world? How does that impact your life? And she talked about their foundation, how exciting it was to work personally with saving little lives and, and eradicating diseases off the planet and changing uh, ecosystems uh, financially. 
And then she began to speak about her husband, Bill Gates. And she said, you know, here's the thing. Yes, we have lots and lots of money, lots and lots of opportunity. But Bill was lucky. He was lucky to be at the right place at the right time of technology in the right country in the right place in history that what his inventions were and what his developments were. We've been incredibly blessed. We had incredibly lucky circumstances that have put an incredible sense of stewardship into our life that we need to give back and we need to help other people have the chances we had. Wow. Now, I like that thought. You might like that thought. You might immediately have another thought. Sure, you can say that if you're Bill Gates. Must be nice. Right? Those are thoughts. And then you end up envying people who have more money than you. You end up demonizing people who have more power than you. And you've got to take those thoughts captive. Capture that thought. Oh, my goodness, this is what's driving my envy. Oh, my goodness, this is what's driving my entitlement. Well, that guy didn't earn his position. Capture those thoughts. And then replace them. We'll talk about that next week. Replacing the thoughts. But you've got to capture the bad ones first. It's like this. Have you seen your kids or grandkids are playing this game, Pokemon Go? Now, if you haven't played it, and I know you've seen it, because actually children are leaving their homes and leaving their devices, and they're wandering around outside. It's amazing. Like, like we haven't seen this many teenagers outdoors in like a decade. And they're taking their phones, and they're walking around, and what they're discovering is there's an invisible world all around them. This church, if you walk around this church, there are pocket monsters, Pokemon, right now, sitting on pews, sitting up here, sitting on the rafters, and, and you'll find one with your phone, you're like, i got to capture them. And you, you take the stupid ball, and you and you got to capture that ball, capture that monster. I was sitting at a restaurant the other day, and I saw these three business women in front of me, and I noticed on their phone, as they're on their phone, instead of just you know, texting, I see this. And when you see somebody doing this with their phone, they're catching Pokemon. This is the movement, throwing the ball to catch a Pokemon. And what Pokemon has done, Pokemon Go, is shown us, in the world around us is an invisible another world where there are monsters and creatures all around us, and they have to be captured. And in the same way, the Bible says there are thoughts all around you, in your home, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your workplace, in your office. And you better learn how to capture those thoughts or they're going to destroy the things you care about. And so literally you're walking around. I see one. And it's a battle. I got to catch them all. And I reflect on it. and I arm myself to pull it down. To cast it down, to compare it to truth. Oh, that's not a monster. Oh, that's fine. Oh, there's one! And I compare it. I got one! And I capture it. That's the process by which the Bible describes there is an invisible world all around us of thoughts and lies. And as we learn to reflect, compare, and capture, we can be freer and freer in our lives. I'll give you a couple more examples. And again, I'm trying to give so many examples in the series because I know somebody's like, because we haven't learned how to do this, you might go, oh, that's me. That's me. So as we're going through the series, you might want to write down, oh, that one's me. Thoughts to capture. Maybe you have a tendency to polarize or, or exaggerate in your mind. It's become not exaggeration, but a stronghold. You, you say to yourself, I've blown it completely when you made one little mistake. Don't you have to have this conversation with your teenagers all the time? The whole day is ruined. What happened? I got a text from a friend of mine who said something nasty. Well, that, that's bad, but it's not the, the whole day is ruined. I never do anything right. What are you doing when you're talking to your teenagers about that? You're trying to help them capture thoughts. Reflect on it. Compare it. You always ignore me. How many times have you said that to your spouse and it was helpful? <laughs> and yet you keep saying it. Versus, you know, yesterday, 
I felt like you weren't really fully engaging when I had that conversation. Wouldn't that be more productive than you always ignore me with put someone on the defensive? You never help out. Here's another one. These are all thoughts around. These are pokey monsters all around us we need to capture. These relate to our identity. I am my kid's obedience. You may not have worded that way, but that's why you feel good when your kids do well and you feel ashamed when your kids don't. And that's why you've got a, your reputation in your family is so much about hiding when we do stuff wrong because I am my kid's obedience. And think what you've done as a dad or a mother. You've put your identity into the hands of your 10-year-old. This is not wise, my friends. This is not wise. And you're not reacting to your son or daughter's behavior. You're reacting to what you think about your son and daughter's behavior. And you've let that thought come into your mind. Oh, you're a good mom. And some days you're feeling great. Other days, you're a horrible mom. Can you believe it? Make your thoughts knock before they come in. A couple more up here. I am my lawn's perfection. I am my success as a worker. So one day those thoughts come in, had a great quarter. Oh my goodness, you're doing well. The next quarter they come in, oh, not, maybe not so much. I tell it like it is. All right, well, maybe you're just rude. <laughs> Never invoke a conflict. First, you know what? There's things that need to be talked about. I'm not lovable. I'm not beautiful. Here's my encouragement. Last week we talked about reflecting on our thoughts. This week, I want us to start capturing them, comparing them. Make every thought, or at least a few thoughts that you're going to focus in on, make them knock before they come in. Make them knock. I want you to try and identify one stronghold, one high thought we've identified. What's the thought that has driven that into the pattern in your life? What is that? And I'm telling you, it, it, it takes time. But as you get good at this, or no, as you get better at this, you're going to find yourself freer and freer. It becomes easier and easier to do it. More and more freedom comes into your life. So I want to put a list up on the screen. And that may strike you to go, oh, that's probably one of mine. But this week, I want you to try and track a thought. Don't ask for help. Oh, my goodness, that's been mine. You owe me. Maybe you have a tendency to get attention by going, oh, poor me. Look at how hard it is. That's probably true. There's some bad things. But the way you get attention is through poor me. Don't talk about your feelings. Talking about it only makes it worse. You know, if you marry the right person, you never fight. We fight. Therefore, I'm not married to the right person. Therefore, I'm finding a way out of my marriage. Only the weak seek help. Marriage is primarily to make me happy. I don't feel happy. God would want me to not be married. Sex is a drudgery. It's a necessity. It's a commodity. We trade it. We count it. It's too high. It's too low. You shouldn't want that much. You should want more. Judging is more important than listening. Moms raise the kids. Blowing up is justified if I've been offended. Dads do the discipline. Fathers have to play a passive role at home. If I do something I don't feel like doing, I must be a hypocrite. Money is my security. Money is my power. Money is my control. If I feel it, I've feel it, got to say it. They're all over the place. I caught two more this week. One of them that I captured. I was having a conversation with my wife. We started this disagreement. And the whole time she started talking, I realized my pulse was going up. I was getting frustrated. And I realized, oh, i got a thought going on. The thought sounded like this. She's wrong, 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 she's wrong. Okay, now that, that's probably not helpful here. And so as she was talking, I captured it. I got one. And I changed it too. She might be wrong, she might be wrong, she might be wrong, she might be wrong, she might be wrong. And later on after the conversation, I captured enough to go, you know what? Honey, I think what you needed is whatever we agreed or disagreed on this, you wanted me just to listen and enter your world. Yes, that's what I need you to do. So I said, okay, I need to change that thought. Whether she's wrong or not, she needs me to listen and enter. Oh, that's hard to do. 
Man, it's hard to do. But I was a little bit freer this week. Also, because I'm a get-it-done kind of person, another thought I kept from coming and knocking on my door, and a staff member came in, I said, we've got to fix this computer. I've got a meeting starting in a few minutes, and as I got that out of my mouth, I went, last time I saw the staff member, they were in the hospital bed three weeks ago. They're back at work. It's good to have you back at work. Wow, man, you're doing well. I realized in my tendency to get stuff done, I can step over higher principles. Take your thoughts captive. Make every thought, every thought, knock before they come in. Well, we talked last week about pains and lies and hurts and scars from the past. In effect, us. imagine again the kind of freedom we can give uh, to our own lives, to ourselves, a gift to ourselves, that we could identify that. So here's the stuff we've looked at. Reflect last week, capture this week. Reflect and capture. As you leave today, if you don't have a brain, we have one for you. Don't leave your brains at the door. So if you need another reminder because you threw yours away or lost it, feel free to grab another. We've got 500 left. Grab yourself a brain. Use this as a trigger. Use the post-it note we gave you as a trigger. What's the thought I'm trying to capture? And we'll see you next week for the third stage of this incredibly practical process. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.